you guys are with me, let's take about five seconds and let's kind of be as quiet as we can. And go. Now, whoa, we can go home, right? It's, it's a great service. What do you preach about? We just, we just sat in silence, you know, just kind of like the monks do, you know. Um, what was taking place in that moment? Uh, it, it, uh, how do you put this? There's something that happens. It happens all the time. It has so much importance for us. It's so vital to us and to life, but it somehow goes unnoticed most of the time. The only time that we notice it is when there's a lack of it. And in those five seconds, uh, most all of us, we were, right, breathing. And there's something about breath that is so important, so vital, but somehow uh, we put no value on it until it's gone. Uh, a few times this past month, I've had some shortness of breath. It's been, been odd. I, I've been out with people, at, uh, you know, just kind of talking. Also, I noticed that I'm just kind of trying to get a breath, and I can't get a breath. And then I noticed that... Uh, my lips would get numb, and it just begins to freak you out. You just begin to just, oh, my goodness. Who's ever been short of breath before? Anybody? Okay. What does that feel like? Come on, just yell it out. What's it feel like? Exhilarating, exciting, fun, joyous, praiseworthy, panic. Come on. Scared. Anyone else? Ooh, fear. Anyone else? Lonely. I love that. You feel so alone in that moment because you're aware that there's nothing that anyone else around you is able to do to help you. You are truly alone in that moment. You are gasping for breath. You're taking a deeper breath. You're raising your chest or you're extending your stomach, uh, whichever way you're trying to. You're, you're trying to slow down your breath. You're trying to speed it up breathe through your mouth, your nose, and you just begin to panic more and more and more. And somewhere in that time, you are reminded of how important, of how valuable breath is. Now, once you're able to breathe again, how long does it take for you to forget that? I mean, moments, right? It's amazing. I mean, breath can be the most valuable thing to you for a minute or two minutes or three minutes or an hour, but the moment that it's back, all of a sudden, it, it just, it's nothing. It's on to what I was doing. It's on to what I want or on to this thing or that thing, and it, it's just forgotten about. And one of the beautiful uh, things about the Psalms is that it's not meant to be, how'd you put that, a uh, 
theological read, meaning it's, it, it's not meant for us to read to, to tell us everything about God. It's meant for us to read to put, our, to put ourselves in their shoes and to allow the conversation between the created and the creator to remind ourselves that there are things that are okay to say and to think and to feel. And the Psalms are beautiful because most of us think of the Psalms as uh, songs of praise and thanksgiving, but you'd actually be wrong. The majority of the Psalms are actually what we call lament. It's a space in our relationship with God where we, we take time to, to share with Him in a very polite way all of the things that He has done wrong to us. All the questions he hasn't answered, all the things he hasn't done for us. Uh, What's funny about the Psalms is the Psalms that we sing and we preach from, they tend to be the beginning or the end. Because, see, we've all learned that if we're going to say something mean to somebody else, we have to start by saying something nice, right? Well, you know, honey, I love you so much. You're just the best, you know, but, right? Then you got a sandwich it. You know, but I love you so much still. And like, you're so amazing, right? That's how all the Psalms read, right? They start with these really nice, oh, God is faithful and trustworthy and all these great things. Then they slip it in and, oh, you're so wise, God, but yet you oppress me and you destroy me and I'm but a breath. You don't care about me. You're going to forget about me. You're going to take all my money away from me. But you're faithful and I love you <laughs> so much. what's hidden in these psalms a lot is that one of the realities which we have to face is how short life is for us. Uh, it's, it's only a hand breadth. Uh, the life that you live is only the width of a hand, if you would. It's, it's short. Uh, he says, you know, what are we but a breath? That's all we are. Now he says that to reference how short life is. But he also says that to show us what life rests on. Meaning, if you cease to breathe right now, you will cease to be. Everything that we are is dependent on something that we cannot control, on something which we cannot buy, something that we cannot manufacture. It's something that is outside of us. And so in Genesis 2, we see that in the creation story, we see this, this God who's making all these beautiful things, and he, he's, he's making these things for purposes. And he gets around to making man, and there's something different about man. He doesn't just speak man, he breathes into man. And there's something very unique here. The breath is this image that, that God is putting his very spirit, the very, if you would, life spark, the very essence of what creates life. He's breathing himself into man. But what is it about breath? When you take a breath in, what happens to breath? It has to go back out, correct? The story of all of mankind starts with this reality. There's a breath that he breathes into us. And eventually, that breath will what? Return. 
the life that is in us for a short time, eventually it's going to go back out. Amen. <laughs> you should see the faces. Oh, my gosh. We live on breath, which is borrowed. The very nature of existing is we are existing dependent on God. Each breath I take in, and I let out, I am receiving from God. And what I have borrowed, what I am holding, what I am stewarding from God is going into me and it is going back out coming into me and it's going back out. And this is the nature of what it means to be human. Now, what's interesting about this is that this is the opposite of the way that most of us live. This world is, is created with, how you put that, what runs this world is the idea that I can own something. What runs this world is the idea that I can have something, that something can be mine and not yours or yours or yours. The idea that my house, my money, my choices, my future, my occupation, my family, my mine, mine, mine. And the world tells me that if I do the right things, if I, if I, if I make the right decisions, then I will get to have more that is mine and mine and mine. Right? And some pastors will even tell you, and you know what? And if you do these things with God, He will give you more things to be mine, mine, and mine. Of course, you know, you probably wouldn't be here, right? But the story begins with something in Genesis. Borrowed. And it ends with something in Revelation. We all return. We begin and we all return. And it is the one reality that no one can escape. That we come from something. We come from somewhere. And that somewhere and something is larger than us. And ultimately, as Christians, we believe that this someone, he doesn't just own the breath that's in our lungs. He owns all things, correct? Because all things came from him and all things are going to return into him. The language of Paul. He talks about how in Christ, who is, who is all of God, he has all of God in him, and yet Christ is going to establish this church which is going to spread this, this message that the God who is in all things is trying to bring all things back to him, and we call that reconciliation. You can call it salvation. That everything that's from God, God is going to bring back to him. But the kingdom gospel, the, the idea that Jesus has come to bring this message, that the choice is, is that we can either choose to return back to God, to submit back under to God, to return to God without resistance. Or we can choose to do this thing which the Bible calls Rebellion. Now, to be a rebel is to be what? To what? 
If you guys have kids, which one, in, which one of your kids is the rebel? Okay. The rebel? Yeah, okay. I asked for that one. Sorry. Apologize. The rebel is the one to where when you say, here's what I want, here's my will, the rebel says what? Your will be done, parent. All wise and amazing parent of whom I am from. (laughs) No, the rebel says some choice words and then says, my way. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to do my thing. And here's what we see. We see that those who submit to Christ are called what? Children. They're called followers. They're called disciples. These ones who submit to the way and begin to follow in the way of Christ. But those who don't are the ones who resist, the ones who push, the ones who say, no, not your way, my way. It's not your stuff. It's my stuff. It's not your life. It's my life. It's not your breath. It's my breath. It's not your energy. It's my energy. It's not your giftings. It's my giftings. I earned that. I did that. And of course, as Christians, we have the joy that we live in a country that has been very successful in lots of different ways. And the motto of this country is independence. The ability to take ownership of yourself and to use what's in your hands, your energy, your strength, your time, your abilities, your brain, your choices, and to make the most of your life so that you owe no one. Correct? We're not like the stupid EU. (laughs) We don't need the French or the Germans or the Brits. We don't need any of them, right? I'm a self-made man. Correct? And so we begin to get these ideas about God. Well, maybe God, because he's like me, he values independence. He values it. Because God's not three in one. He's not triune. He's independent. And he can do whatever he wants on his own. And so he gives me all my abilities, and he's the one who ordained for me to have these abilities so I can do what I can do with it, so he can be glorified through my awesomeness. <laughs> we laugh. But... So what's my response to this? Well, Surely, if you're grateful, the response you would have is to take a little bit of what you've earned and you'd give it back to God. Well, God, I acknowledge that you played a little bit of role, so here's your small little 10%. Here you go. Be happy. You're welcome. I worked hard for that. Ooh, quiet now. Then you had the time tithers, the energy tithers, right? Well, God, I'm busy. I work my job and my life. Here's 10% of my life. Here you go. Yes, exactly. (laughs) We have these weird ideas about it, you know? We're surrounded by a universe who kind of speaks the same truth back to us. It is a witness to the, to Genesis 2 even, if you would, in this way. We have a universe with planets and stars and gravity and energy, and it is all this this amazing expanse of busyness and energy and growth and newness, but 
the one thing which we've learned about it is that everything seems to come from somewhere, and everything seems to be borrowing its, its energy from each other. And so even if you have this amazing star with this, with this energy and power and heat, at some point, its heat, its energy will... Everything in this universe seems to be decaying. It seems to be falling apart. But yet, as it does this, it creates something new. As, as something dies, as the breath leaves a planet or a star, it begins to birth something new. And this is... is it, this is a beautiful reminder for us of the very nature of what it means to be created, to be alive we see that in the heart of being human is the idea that we must understand that everything that comes into us is not our own. And everything that comes into us has one purpose, to go out of us. Everything that comes into us is to go out of us. Now, we're actually going to talk about money this morning. Amen? Oh, Come on, I never talk about money. Okay, uh, if it's your first time here, I apologize because I know it's the worst thing to show up at a church and, let, you know, in the past talking about money. Um, here at Grace, we never talk about it so much so that my elders are always getting on to me. Are you ever going to teach them about money? I think I did a series once last year, and this is the first time I'm talking about this year. So if it's your first time, uh, you know, just if you come back next week, we're done. We're done. Here's the problem when it comes to talking about money in the Scriptures. Money is never an isolated issue. Ever, ever, ever in the Scriptures. Money is always a secondary issue attached to the primary issue. Here's what it is. Money is never about money. Money is about you. Period. Money is about the way that you see God, the way that you see yourself, and the way that you see others which happens to be the heart of almost every sermon we do talk about here. Everything in your life comes down to how you see God, how you see yourself, and how you see the people around you. And one of the things which we learn here in the Scriptures is that the first thing that we must relearn as Christians is that nothing is ours. Did you hear that? I don't care how hard you worked. It's not yours. Did you hear me? I don't care, you know, how long you've, you've slaved with that spouse of yours or how many hours, how many spankings you put into those kids of yours. They're not yours. The Christian word, which we talk about here when it comes to, to resources, whether it's time, energy, money, relationships, is stewardship. When you're Jesus, when he speaks about money, you never hear him talk about anything being your own. And when he challenges people about things that they claim to be their own, it's always a challenge of the heart because the moment that they believe it's their own, their heart is already off. So if you want to know about money, here's the first thing. Your money is not your own. But guess what? That's not even the issue here. Here's the issue. Your life is not your own. If the only goal here was for me to get you to give 10% of your money, sure, great, we can do that. The problem is, is that the, fault, the person we're following, he didn't give a tenth of his life to us. 
The problem with the person we're following here is he chose to set this example, which is a little bit uncomfortable for us. I wish we saw Jesus walk around 10%. Here's my tithe to God. When he's on the cross, he goes, God, here's the tenth which you asked for. And he gets punched like three times, and he gets down. All right, we're good. <laughs> the model we have of the entirety of our life, how we handle everything, not just your money, everything in your life is this. He who gave it all, he's the one we're following. Well, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Who is baptized here in the room? Anybody? Just raise your hand if you're baptized. Okay. What were you baptized into? Health, wealth, and prosperity. You are now blessed in your pocketbook. Bam! $100 bill in your pocket. Check it. You are, you are baptized into what? Death. Death. I love that the Scriptures say, you know, that he who raised you are with him when you're baptized. Well, no, it doesn't say that. It says, um, and so when he's on the cross, we are on the cross. And yet the hope that we have is not a hope that shows up now. It's, but the hope we have is that the God who raised Jesus will, meaning not yet, soon to come, will raise us with Jesus. It's a hope meaning something that's not present, something we are waiting for. The problem with the gospel is it's very hard to figure out what God has to offer us right now. I get this all the time. So when you're doing altar calls, you need to tell people what they get. Okay, I'll tell them. You get to give up everything. Just leave your keys to your house and your car. Okay, just take off your ring and leave. No? Oh, I didn't get a single amen. <laughs> amen. You get to live self-sacrificially. Well, if you go to the Greek, self-sacrificially means you get to live for yourself and that God's going to bless you when you pray and you, you pray right and you, you tithe, right? Is that what that means? Man, I've got so many heads not nodding this morning. We are called to imitate the one who is our king. He sets the example. We follow the example. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles, go to uh, Ephesians 5.1. I'm going to read this in the message. Uh, Eugene Peterson, he does such a good job with these passages uh, in the message. And what happens sometimes with these verses is it's very difficult for us sometimes to kind of piece together what all things uh, are kind of playing into these, these verses. And so with Peterson in the Message Bible, sometimes he just does the extra homework for us. Um, and it's helpful, especially when preaching. Uh, here's what he says. Watch what God does, and then you do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him. Learn a life of love. Here, here we go. Pay attention to this. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to get everything of himself to us. Love like that. Now, let me put some caveats in here real quick. I want you to understand something. that In the Scriptures, especially in the book of Acts, we see 
a solid witness from the Scriptures, do we as Christians have the ability to begin to walk in faith and lean on God, trust in God, and ask Him to enter into situations, whether it's healing or finances or relationships, we can ask for the power from God through Christ to break through into this life. We have that ability. But the danger that comes when we begin to approach God with the understanding that I need to expect something from Him becomes a little bit dangerous because it begins to model a type of love and a type of allegiance, a type of obedience that is not dependent on love for God. It's dependent on receiving from God. One of the hardest things to talk about money is this, is that we talk a lot about the best part of money for us, meaning we teach you that if you tithe, it works. And when we say that, we mean if you give God a tenth, he's going to take care of more. So in essence, we're saying if you've got a tenth, he's going to multiply it to be more than what you gave him. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? If I told you that you could go down to Choctaw right now, and if you put some money in it, okay, it's going to come back more than what you put in every time, would you do it? Yes, you would. You are not putting money into that machine because you love the machine. Oh, Choctaw Nation, I love you so much. <laughs> this is a token of my worship to you. Uh, if you guys are married here in the room, okay, you know that when you begin to pour into your spouse with expectation of receiving, who does that? Men? That pattern doesn't always work very well, does it? Hey, I put it in. I pulled the lever. I did the dishes. I cleaned. I took care of the kids. Now, come on, laugh. That's real. Come on, guys. Who knows that doesn't work? Okay, we can call that love, but there's something in there. Yes, I do love you, but yes, I was doing it for something else. <laughs> They're going to edit this out of the sermon. That's okay. It's okay. We'll make this a one-minute clip that goes on Facebook. That's what we'll do. <laughs> Again, yes, there is love in there, but it's tainted love. Tainted. Very tainted. And it works both ways, okay? It does work both ways. It's not that this is not something which happens. It's not that that God doesn't bless us. It's not that He doesn't see our, our sacrifice and our worship, and He responds because He loves us. One of the best verses about this is uh, in reference to the Holy Spirit. Whenever, uh, I think the, the Gospel of John, I believe it says, when Jesus is talking about, you know, God is a Father who's a good Father who wants good gifts for us. And if we came to Him and we asked for, for something, He's not going to hand us a snake. Awesome. I hate snakes. Works out pretty good. You know, but if you ask for good things, he's going to give you good things. Of course, he's talking about the Holy Spirit there, but we can assume it works other ways, right? He won't talk about the Holy Spirit, you know. What happens is this. We have to begin to approach God the same way that we see Jesus approaching God and approaching us, meaning we begin to obey, we worship, we sacrifice, we follow, not because of what we're going to receive, 
We do it as an act of affection. We do it as an act of obedience, as an act of submission. Uh, there are times with my kids when I don't want them to obey me because they love me. There are times I don't want my kids to obey me because of the fact that they're going to get a treat from me. There are times I want my kids to obey me, you know what, because I'm the parent, six-year-old. Goodness gracious, that child. I'm reaping everything I sowed to you. Don't worry. It's all coming back in the best way possible. He wants a reason for everything. Anyways, it's not that we cannot... So I'll say it is important for us to learn the affection God has towards us, the desire He has to bless us, whether it's financially, relationally, whether it's uh, emotionally, uh, even with our health. He desires these things. But in order for us to have a, a true relationship that can survive hardship, in order for us to have a relationship that's truly dependent on trust and love, it cannot be based on what I receive. My marriage is not based on the things I receive from my wife. My marriage, for me, okay, on my side of the marriage, is based on what I give. The health of my marriage will always go up and down based on how much I'm pouring into it not on how much I'm pouring because I'm receiving. And again, there is a place where I need to receive. It's the nature of that relationship. But my giving is not dependent on it. And in the Scriptures, the giving money is always used as a test. I mean, let's stop and think about this. We all know that God doesn't need your money, correct? I mean, I mean Right? Okay, we all know this. It's not that my money is something that, you know, oh, God, here's, here's my money. And he just goes, that's so amazing, you know. The language is that, you know, the offerings is it's like an incense. It's an aroma. Do you believe God is in heaven going, oh, that's the good money. I like that one. I mean, really? Oh, he worked harder for that money. Ooh, that was a good investment. Mmm. It's not literal, people. It's not literal. He's not smelling your incense. Okay. It's a way for us to understand a reality. Anyways, <laughs> that's a whole other sermon. <laughs> I can't shake it. I just see God up in heaven going, mmm, that green <laughs> smells good. All those germs. Yes. Oh, that person gave online. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. It smells not as good. It smells not as good. Need those greenbacks, what we need. Um, I'm sorry, I just couldn't help myself. It's always used as a test. Always used as a test because what God desires, what He pours out in hope and expectation to receive from us is not our money. It's all of us. In the Scriptures, the word used there is heart. Okay? In the Scriptures, when it says heart, what it's talking about is the innermost part of you. It's the part of you that makes you unique. It's the part of you that separates you from, from anyone else. He wants the innermost part of who you are. And the problem is for us is we are so easily attached to things. We are so easily attached to other 
things or people or relationships or gods, if you would. Go to Matthew 20, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 24. If you have time, I encourage you to go back and read the entire chapter. It's very helpful on this topic. Um, Matthew 6, 24, it says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, of all the things that he could be speaking about, why would he use money? I mean, surely he's not talking about, you know, a dollar bill who is a God who controls me. Well, uh, the word used there is mammon, and when you begin to trace that back to Babylon, it's (laughs) Babylonians saw that money had this kind of a, had a life of its own, if you would. It had its own kind of uh, opinions and its own will. It had this ability to kind of change people. And so they began to believe that there's a spirit that was called mammon that operated through money. It's the idea that you could not touch money without it in some way wrapping cords around, around you. Does that make sense? It's almost like the moment that you would touch money, it begins to pull you with it. Okay? To where the way that they understood money was, it wasn't something that you put in your pocket. It was something that the moment you touch it, you had to start wrestling with it. Because if you weren't careful, it was going to begin to use you instead of you beginning to use it. Does that make sense? Now, think about this in your own life. Either when you have an excess of money, okay? Uh, those of us who, uh, who love March, right? Because March is that month. Oh. Second Christmas, correct, everybody? Okay. I can already tell, like, how much money you make by how you react to that. If March is a terrible month for you, you better be tithing more, okay? Because I know you make more money now, right? Okay, okay. All you guys who love March, I feel you. Okay. March is a terrible temptation because you have more available than you normally have, right? And so you have the excess, ooh, ooh. And it just starts pulling you, ooh, 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 this, ooh, 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 this, this, or this. But there's also the pull you feel from, from money, from mammon, when there's a lack, right? When you can't pay that bill, when you're not able to, you know, to, to get gas, when you're having to hide your car from the repo guy. Who's done that? Hey, can I park my car at your house? <laughs> Why? D- d- no questions. Come on, nobody else? Yeah, yeah, okay, spiritual people, all right. You guys don't raise your hands. I got you. It has a pull, it has this, ew, it just begins to seep into every part of your emotions, and into your thoughts, it begins to affect your work, it affects your marriage, your parenting, uh, your sleep. It just has these claws that claw into you. Now what's powerful about mammon, about money, is that it's not really showing the power of money on you. It's actually showing the power of you, meaning Dallas Willard uh, had this line. He said that in all areas of, of our faith, in all areas of our walk with God, it comes down to a battle between two kingdoms. The idea is that here is the kingdom of God with its king being Jesus, and that there are millions of kingdoms which, is, which it is out to encounter. And every time that, that it faces them, What's facing is the fact that every one of us is a king of our own kingdom, meaning I control what happens inside my bank account, inside the walls of my home, inside my mind, my actions, and my life. 
I control this. And every time that these two kingdoms collide, it's a question of who will prevail. And so the relationship that you have with Christ is a question of who is going to win. Is your kingdom, are you going to submit your kingdom and your will to the king and the kingdom? Or are you going to declare war? Those are the only two options you have with God. If you notice the language of the Apostle Paul, he only has two options ever when it comes to God. There are those who are in submission to him, and there are those who are in opposition. Rebellion. We have S word for that. What's that called? Imagine if you went to the Baptist church. What's it called? The Pentecostal church, maybe? Sin! Come on, you guys. You guys are awful. Not Joel Osteen's church. I mean, he's not talking about that. I'm kidding. I love Joel Osteen. He's great. Come on. I have to get everybody. It's only fair. I have to get everybody. It's fair. When I'm not preaching here, I, you know, I promise, you know, I, I make fun of, of us. So it's okay. It's fair. It's called sin. It's the idea. And, and sin, the fundamental issue of sin, because we all have like a law you know, idea of sin. We all see sin as here's do's and don'ts. Well, there's only one do and there's only one don't, okay? Break everything you think you know about sin. There's only one do and one don't in covenant with Jesus. Here's what it is. You do his will or you don't do his will. So will, I mean, what they call that in the new covenant is the law of the Spirit, meaning In every single moment that I am living with God, I am breathing in and breathing out, I have a choice. Am I submitting this breath, these thoughts, this life, these choices, my finances, my future? Am I submitting it to Christ or am I taking it as my own? This is the only idea of sin that exists when Jesus and Paul talk about it. They use Sins from the law to expose the reality going on behind. It was never about the do's and don'ts. It was about what was going on in the heart. It was about the battle between two kingdoms. Will you submit or will you not submit? The painful thing about following Jesus in the new covenant is that it begins, the law looks different for each of us. And that's the most painful thing for us. For some of you in this room, you are sinning because of the way you are not giving God in your finances. For others in this room, that's not hard at all. For others, it's your time. For others, it's your gifting. For others, it's your choices, meaning your future, your dreams. For others, it's your work, it's your, it's your business. For others, it's your pride. It's the idea that, hey, I accomplished this. This is, this is me doing it, not God. Here's the point. It's not even about your money at all. The money is just this test that we do to test our hearts constantly, constantly, constantly. But in relationship with Christ through the new covenant, it's not even about that. The Spirit is testing us on all levels at all times. Because the reality is this, that nothing that comes in is ours. Nothing. And the moment that we claim that we own anything that God has allowed to come into us, it has automatically become an idol, and we have stepped into rebellion. 
We have set ourselves up as a king with ownership over our own kingdom, and we have begun to push back the will and the plan of God in our lives. There are times for me where the hardest thing for us has not been finances. The biggest gift we have to offer God has not been that. Money's never really been a big issue for us. I mean, as far as on on the area of offering it to God, whatever He wants. As I've told you, I used to be like the most legalistic person you'd ever know. I used to give 25% just because I was better than you. (laughs) And because I didn't make much money, so it didn't matter anyway. You know, oh, well, you can have it all for the, (laughs) you know. Oh, Lord, have mercy on these. I'm sorry, babe. I was awful. For us, for me, it's always my future. Am I going to give you the next five years? Because if I look at the five years the way that I'm going, and I'm not, you know, I'm not speaking about now, just in my life. If I'm going to give you these five years, the way that the path looks now, I'm not sure that that's worth it. If I'm going to give you 15 years, if I'm going to give you this, if I'm going to give you that, I'm not sure that I trust you with that. I'm not sure that I'm willing to offer this to you. And so for me, the temptation has always been to take back control of my life, of my choices, of my future. And for you, there is an area in your life, maybe it's relationships. I know sometimes one of the hardest things to do is to say, God, here is my safe zone. Here's the people I want to be with. I want to spend my time with them. I trust them. I like them. You know, we get along. Here's the people you're calling me to spend my life with. Can we like reshuffle? Can we try again? And so with money in the Scriptures, the Old Testament and the New, money is always a heart tester. How do I see God? How do I see myself? How do I see the people around me? And see, tithing is one of the most dangerous things for us as Christians. Because it has this idea inside of it that if I just give God what's His, the assumption that the tenth is what's His, if I just give Him what's His, I'm free to walk away now. He's, hey, He's got His. Now I get to do whatever I want with the rest of it. Which is why in the New Testament, you do not see tithing being spoken of. What you see is this new thing. What you see this new thing, which is the idea that what matters most is the understanding that, first of all, nothing is mine. That everything comes from God. And secondly, everything I have is now going not just to God. Everything that I have now is going to those around me. Whereas previously... I was taught that everything comes from God, and everything is now mine. And I give God my ten, and I walk away. But in covenant with Christ, we have a new model, a new example, which is this. Everything is from God. And what God calls of me to do is to give everything now. Everything. I hate talking about giving because the moment we start talking about giving, we skip over the book of Acts. We just skip right past it. We go all the way back to the Old Testament. Let's not talk about the book of Acts. Let's not talk about that. Because that's uncomfortable. Because the book of Acts is nothing but giving everything for everyone. Oh, are you in need? Here you go. Are you in need? Here you go. Are you in need? Here you go. Hey, I have a house. I can sell it. And everyone goes, let's go back to tithe. Let's do that. 
Let's go back to the tithe. That was really cool. I like that tithe. And again, the money is important. It's something, again, it's that constant test of our hearts. But understand, it's never about the money. What God desires from us is us. The deepest, truest part of who you are, choosing to trust Him and to give that to Him. And the way that works out, it's not just an emotional thing, it's not just a mental thing. When you make that decision that I'm going to live my life responding to the act of Christ because I follow Jesus, uh, Ephesians 5, because His model is giving everything, pouring Himself out, my life is to follow Him, to give everything that's not even my own, because it's not mine, I'm going to give it away. This is my life. I give, I give, I give. And this is not just your money. This is your time, your choices, your relationships, your future, your energy, your strength. There are times when you come to church, you need to have, you know, the emotional energy to talk to that person. That person. You know who that person is? I'm going to give it to you. I don't, I don't have anything left. I'm here. This is what it means for us to follow Christ. If you have an issue with the money, it's not that you have an issue with the money at all. If you have an issue with the money, it's because you fundamentally do not understand who God is and what He's asking from you. (sighs) Nothing that comes into my life is mine. I am a steward, meaning everything that comes in my life is my responsibility to take care of it and handle it the way that the person who owns it tells me to. Everything, relationships, my authority, my influence, my energy, my time, and my money, if you have any. If you don't, hey, it's no problem for you then, huh? Everything that comes into me, I steward, and everything that comes to me, I know something about it. I know that everything that comes into me, every breath, every energy, every thought, every relationship, Every penny, I know something about it. I know that it's, good, it's supposed to come in and it's supposed to go out. That's what I know. Would you stand with me? Good try, good try. Everyone's like, shh, shh. This is not one of those. Don't encourage him. He'll do a series. We don't want to hear that for five weeks. As always with our sermons, the goal is not... Um, to make anyone feel bad or guilty. It's not. The Scriptures have this really frustrating pattern. Jesus, He's always kind of correcting us. Every time we begin to to use the law, if you would, these rules. Okay, well, see, I'm following the rules. I'm doing good, doing good. I gave my tenant, went to church. I, I serve, I volunteer. Oh, I'm doing good, doing good. Every time we do that, He says, no, stop. Every time that we begin to compare ourselves. Well, I'm, I, I do more than that person. I volunteer way more than that person. I give way more than that person. I know that. He says, no, stop. He always says this. The model, the, the mark, what we compare ourselves to is only one place. Christ. As He gave all, we as children, Ephesians 5, we do what? We follow as children and we learn to imitate. We watch Him give all and we give all. Father, we just come to you this morning and some of these things are just hard. They're just hard. Um, almost everything about, uh, about life uh, is contrary to this. There are so many things in life that threaten us, that try to take from us, that try to threaten uh, 
our families and our, our well-being, everything about the dangers of this world tell us that we have to take care of ourselves. We have to, to make sure that we are able to take care of our families and to push everything else aside. And everything in this world is about competition and about measuring. And everything in this life is about me and about things I can have, I can do, I can enjoy. But we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would allow the word to just confront us this morning. That the reality of being baptized into the death of Christ, that we would be people who live pouring everything out in this life, knowing that our inheritance, our riches, the reward for us is at the resurrection. That we have a life with no end where everything that we have done for you, that's where the reward waits. The place where no moth is able to reach, no rust, no, no thief. That is the place where you store up the riches for us. And so every part of us that pushes back, that gets frustrated, that's insecure, that's fearful, that's angry, that's prideful, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just begin to slowly begin to work on us. Allow the Word of God to be like sandpaper on our hearts. That we would follow the imitation of the one that we call Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, give us grace to follow Thank you.